are in the middle of a message series called Better. And the whole idea behind this message series is that progress is better than perfection. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I really like perfection. Like, like I really want things to go perfectly. I want my plans to go perfectly. I want my kids to behave perfectly. I want that meal that I just made to turn out perfect. Like perfect makes me happy. I, I, I don't know if you know about the Enneagram, but I am an Enneagram one which basically all you need to know is perfection is my love language. Like I just, I love it when things are perfect. I don't wanna just buy any old gift. I wanna buy the perfect gift. And I don't wanna just go on any old vacation. I wanna go on the perfect vacation. And so that's a lot of weight to live under, right? When everything has to feel like it's perfect in your life. And so one thing, one thing I'm trying to internalize from this message series, and when, one thing I'm just trying to take to heart is that my desire for perfection is often in conflict with my desire to get better. Anybody know what that feels like? Like you you have this big goal in your mind of like where you wanna be, but you can get paralyzed because you feel this desire to do it all perfectly. And and you don't wanna get started if you don't think you can do it well. And when when things aren't going well, if you're anything like me, sometimes that inner critic in your head, the volume can get turned up very loud. And that's all you can seem to hear. And it limits us from being able just to etch away at a goal and to move toward progress instead of always hoping for perfection. Now, the Apostle Paul really embodies this idea of working toward progress. And if you were here a couple weeks ago in Andy's message, he introduced us to this verse in Philippians 3. It's gonna be on the screens where Paul really embodies this. And it says, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he says, I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. It's this idea that I can grow and I can learn and I might not know how to do it yet. And it might be really hard right now, but just hang on because you ain't seen the best of me yet. I keep getting better. That's what I keep telling Andy 20 years after marriage to me. I'm like, babe, you ain't seen the best of me yet. I just keep getting better. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking the last few weeks about, first off, better vision for our life, like the big picture. What is the better vision where we're heading with our life? And then last week, Andy unpacked some really practical tools about better habits that will help us move toward that vision. And this week, we're going to talk about the concept of mindset the way that we think about life, the way we perceive things, how we filter our circumstances in our mindset. Now, if you remember last time when I taught here at Saddleback, I shared with you a story about one of my finer moments of motherhood. And it involved me throwing shoes and yelling at my oldest son on his first day of high school. It was a very heartwarming story. I'm sorry if you missed it. But the moral of that story was that my response is my responsibility. And before you start writing that down on your page, this week, we are gonna take that concept one step further and say not only is my response my responsibility, but actually my thoughts are also my responsibility. 
It's not just my behaviors and my reactions that I have to take responsibility for, but also the thoughts that I allow to take up residence in my head. And I know the pushback on this. You're like, like how in the world can I control what kind of pop, thoughts pop in my head? I don't have control over that. And maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. But what we do have control over is what we do with those thoughts. One of my mentors, Christine Kane, said that our thoughts are like a train and they are taking us to a destination. And we're the ones that get to decide whether or not we get on that train because not every thought needs to turn into a belief. Like some of those trains, we just need to let pass right on by, right? I don't know if you've ever taken a train ride. One time Andy and I got to take an overnight train. It was a pretty cool experience. We'd been married about two months and we were taking a team of high schoolers across Thailand on a mission trip. And so you guys wanna see a picture of me and baby Andy 20 years ago? Yeah, okay, here we go. This is me and baby Andy. Aw, so cute. <laughs> okay, you can take that down. Um, <laughs> So we're, we were starting off in Bangkok and we were heading to Chiang Mai. And it was a really cool experience because you get on the train, you get to see all this beautiful landscape passing you by, you get all cozy in your cart, and then you, you go to sleep and you wake up in a new destination. And thankfully when we woke up, we were in Chiang Mai. But what if when we were rushing through that train station and trying to figure out which train to get on, what if we had accidentally got on the train that was headed to Kuala Lumpur? Like, it does not matter how much we intended to end up in Chiang Mai, we were gonna be really surprised when we ended up in a whole different city because we got on the wrong train. And our thoughts can do that to us. It's like we have this big, beautiful vision of what we want our life to be like. And I wanna end up in that destination. But we can be so frustrated because we keep getting on these trains that take us in a completely different direction for our life. And so today we're gonna to talk about how do you get on the right train? What is the mindset that I need to have to get me from where I am to where I want to be? So we've all heard that phrase that the battle is won and lost in our minds. And that's because we can't address a behavior without addressing the thoughts that led to that behavior. Our mind and what we think about, it's literally shaping our behaviors. I know there's so much really helpful modern psychology about mindsets and the way that we think about things, the power of our thoughts, but this concept did not originate in modern psychology. You can go all the way back to the Bible to see this principle. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like if you want to change, if you want to be transformed, it's gonna start up here in your mind because the behavior has an underlying belief system that is leading us to that behavior. And so those habits that Andy talked about last week, if we don't address the mindset underneath the habits, then they're not gonna last very long because you can only muscle your way through a habit for so long, right? Like your willpower, your willpower to do the right thing eventually runs out. We never last if we're just doing something because we think we're supposed to, because we should do it. You know, desire is so much stronger than should, right? 
Like what we really want in our heart of hearts is so much stronger than what we should do. Desire eats should for breakfast. And so you have to address what's going on on the inside if you want something long lasting to change in your life. But if you can adjust your thinking, then the amazing thing is that your mind can start to command your heart. And if you can get the right mindset around something, your heart is more inclined to follow. And then you're more likely to stick with those habits long-term. When you start to see yourself and see your situation through a different filter, then you start to change your behaviors and become a new kind of person, that kind of person that we want to become. A while back, a mentor of ours, Harold Bullock, shared with us this diagram that's very helpful. And if you look on this diagram, you can see in all of our hearts, we have these desires. And some desires are good desires, some desires are not so good desires. And on the other side of the chart, we end up at our behaviors. But between our desires and our behaviors, there's a filter. And we filter everything through our perspective and through our values. For this message series, you might call that perspective our mindsets. And you might call our values priorities. Andy's gonna talk about our priorities next week. And so before our desires make their way to behaviors, they're being filtered first through our mindset and our priorities. So you wanna make sure you get those mindsets and priorities right. Because if you don't, then you're gonna end up with all these behaviors that you're not pleased with. You've heard the phrase that you should follow your heart. Follow your heart, man, follow your heart. That's such a stupid phrase. Nobody, let's just, don't say that phrase anymore. You will follow your heart right off a cliff. You don't need to follow your heart. You need to filter your heart, get the right filter in place and you're gonna end up at a place that you are so much more happy with. Now I wanna show you an example of the Apostle Paul's mindset that we see here in the book of Philippians. We're gonna hang out today in the book of Philippians and it's important for you to remember that he, had, uh, that he was writing this book from prison. He had been put in prison for sharing the gospel and so that's an important thing to keep in mind. In this verse, Philippians 1.12, it'll be on the screen, it says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, meaning being put in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. So this guy's in prison, but he's saying, it hasn't slowed me down. Now if I got put in prison, that's probably not my mindset, right? Like I'm thinking, my life is over now. But he, Paul is not focused on his chains or his limitations. He said, I might be in prison, but I am not bound. The, the power of God is not limited by my current circumstances and the advancement of the gospel will go on no matter where I am located. And so he is sharing his faith with the whole palace guard. He's writing these letters to the churches all over Asia Minor that will have impact for generation after generation after generation because he had a different mindset. He knew he was not limited by his circumstances. And man, I just wonder how many of us need that mindset to know that no matter what circumstances you are currently in, no matter how difficult, they don't limit the power of God in your life. That God is not bound by whatever feels like it's shackling you. He is more than enough to overcome that. You know, Paul has 
so much to say about mindsets in the book of Philippians. I just finished this study by Beth Moore on the book of Philippians and it was so helpful. I learned so much. And one of the things that I learned is that there's this word that Paul uses over and over in the book of Philippians that is like a theme. So the New Testament was originally written in the book uh, in the language of Greek. And so this Greek word that Paul uses over and over is the word phroneo. And it basically means mindsets. So the definition of it is to think, to feel, and to direct one's mind toward a thing. And so this word phroneo is, is used 26 times in the New Testament, but 23 of those times are used by the apostle Paul. And 10 of those times are actually used in the book of Philippians. Now Philippians is a short book, it's only four chapters, but Paul uses this one word phroneo 10 times. So it's like this ribbon that just kind of flows throughout the whole book. And he's clearly trying to shape the mindset of this church at Philippi. And so I'm just wondering as I read this book, okay, Paul, you seem to have a really great mindset on life. What is this mindset that you're trying to impart to us as well? Because the Bible has so many awesome things to say about what life in Christ can be like. Like you, you've probably heard some of these promises, like you can live with peace instead of anxiety. And you're like, yeah, sign me up, I wanna do that. Or, or you're, you can have, you can navigate your relationships with grace and you can, you can have purpose to your life. You can live life to the full and you're like, yes, that's the life I want. I wanna get to that destination. So how do we get there? What are the mindsets that we need to have to get on that train to get to that destination? And so what I have for you today, I have three tickets to a better train of thought. You see what I did there? A, a train of thought. That was good, you guys. That was a good one. Because you don't want your life to get derailed, right? Like you want, stay on track. Come on, you like a good pun. I know you do. Okay, so <laughs> we're gonna look at three examples throughout the book of Philippians where Paul uses this word phroneo. And we're gonna press into what is this mindset supposed to be like that's gonna get me to the destination that I wanna go. The first example is in Philippians chapter two, verse two, where Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. That word like-minded is the word for neo. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That is also the word for neo. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. I was thinking about that word like-minded and of one mind. And I'm like, what does that even look like in today's day and age? Like we live in a culture where, man, everybody's got an opinion, right? And everybody feels complete freedom to share their opinion. And never did we see this more than when we lived through COVID together because everybody had an opinion about how the virus should be handled and about racial injustice and about the political spectrum that we lived through. And there were just all these opinions and we were the exact opposite of like-minded. Even within the church, there was, everyone saw it differently. And so it's like, Paul, what do you mean? What does it mean for us to be like-minded? I'll tell you what he doesn't mean here. He doesn't mean that we all need to flatten out our personalities 
and that we each just need to give up our personal convictions and our opinions and preferences. That's not what he's getting at here. This is a reminder that it's not all about you, that there is something bigger at stake here than your personal preference or your perspective. That God has created us to live within a community and that his desire is that we would put the goals and interests of others above our own. That we would see someone else's need and we would do what we could to help meet that need. That we would value others like a family should value one another. So the first point here is that a better mindset is familial. Familial. I chose that word familial because God uses the language of family all throughout the New Testament. So God is our father and other believers are our brothers and sisters. And he intended for us to live life as if we were in a family with one another. But that word familial kind of has lost its intended meaning because if you think about your family, perhaps your family doesn't quite live up to what God was intending here. I don't know, it would be interesting if we could take a poll to see, okay, did any of you come from a family of origin? Or do any of you live in currently in your family where it's just everyone's selfless? And everyone values the interest of others above their own. You're like, oh, you need 10 more minutes in the bathroom? Go right ahead. Take your time. <laughs> oh, you would like the last bowl of cereal? Help yourself. Hey, I would love to do the dish for you. Anybody? I mean, if you do, man, well done. That is so good. That's how God intended us to live. But for most of us, our experience with family life is a little different than that. And probably for many of us, our dinner time, it's more like a free-for-all, right? Like everybody's fighting over that last piece of bread or that last piece of chicken. And when we go somewhere in the car, the kids are all like, I'm sitting in the front seat, you're in the back. And there's not this self-giving, like you go first, you're more important than I am. And it, we live with this scarcity mentality. Like if there's not enough to go around, and if I don't look out for me, nobody else is. I'm gonna have to defend for myself. And, and so we have this scarcity mentality. But listen, when God is your father, there is always more than enough. The Bible says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. He's got more than enough for all of us. And so you can have the double portion of mashed potatoes and eat all the meat that you want because he is capable of supplying your needs. And when you have that confidence in your heart that God can supply for you, then you can lift up your eyes and look to see how can I meet the needs of other people. You know how we develop this family mindset is by choosing to put ourselves in community. That's why here at Saddleback, we value small groups so much, all the way from children and students up through adulthood. We want every single person who attends Saddleback to get connected into a small group because it's when we do life in community that we give God the opportunity to rub all the rough edges off of us. Like you can feel like you are so patient and kind and holy when the only person you have to interact with is yourself, right? But as soon as you get up next to someone who's kind of annoying and who demands more from you than what you were hoping to give, then you're like, oh, 
Maybe I'm a little bit more selfish than I thought I was, right? And so we, t- we intentionally put ourselves in community so we can learn to live with this familial mindset. The question I would love for us to consider this week as we reflect on this message is how can I better prioritize the needs of others this week? How can I stop only looking out for my own interests and start prioritizing other people's interests even above my own? Now, the second place that we're gonna look at this word for neo in the book of Philippians is just a continuation in this same passage in Philippians 2. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That word mindset is phreneo. And in some translations, it's translated as the word attitude. Like your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what is the attitude? What is this mindset that Jesus um, embodied for us, that he gave us the example to follow? Paul's gonna outline that in the next couple verses where he says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the second point is that a better mindset is humble. A better mindset is familial, and a better mindset is humble. I don't know if there's any other passage in all of the Bible that is more countercultural than this passage. Because this passage is the antithesis of everything that our world esteems. We see how Jesus willingly and knowingly, he stepped away from his prestige, from his position, from the glory that was due him. And he stepped into a whole new reality where he knew that he would be mistreated and misunderstood and misrepresented. He was used to having angels at his disposal ready to serve him at all times. And he chose to step away from that to become a servant for us. And you think about like, who does that? Like that is the opposite of how we choose to live. We live in a world where everyone is fighting for position and they're trying to look for the advantage and they're, we're all building our own platforms of influence. And it's like the exact opposite of the way that Jesus modeled for us how to do life. So many of us hate that feeling of being under authority, right? Like the the word obey has become a bit of a cuss word in our generation. When our kids were younger, they attended this uh, parent participation school. And so I was in the classroom every single week for several hours every week. And uh, one of the things that we had to go through as training as a parent involved was um, how do you interact with a kid who's not doing what he's supposed to do or she's supposed to do? And, and they give you options of things to do. Like, like one thing is that you could try to redirect them. 
that you could give them a variety of options of what they might want to engage with, that you could just have a conversation with them to see how they're feeling, that you could try to connect with them in some way. Never on the option list for adults was to get the kid to obey. Like that was not the priority here. And it's like we, we feel afraid to, to require obedience because it feels stifling and controlling. But what about this? The king of all kings submitted to authority. Jesus Christ obeyed the Father. He set that example for us of humbling himself. And, and why? Why would he choose this route to salvation? Well, he trusted his Father. And he was secure in the Father's love. Jesus knew who he was. So he wasn't walking around Nazareth with a chip on his shoulder like he had to prove himself to anyone like, oh, you need to recognize who I am and how important I am. I feel like that's, that's kind of the posture, that's the ego that a lot of us walk around with is like, you need to show some respect. And Jesus did not have that posture. That is not a posture coming from God if that's the posture that we have. Jesus had a humble posture because he trusted in the Father's greater purpose, that there was a plan, there was a reason that he was going through what he was going through because God had a greater purpose. I wonder how much energy are we wasting just like grasping for prestige and grasping for success and other people's approval and admiration, trying to make ourselves look better. But look at how our savior lived. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He trusted and obeyed his father. So the question I think that we could reflect on this week is, what rights do I need to lay aside for God's greater purpose? Like what am I clinging to? What am I unwilling to let go of because I don't wanna be seen that way? I, I skipped a part of my message, I gotta go back to though because it's so good. That word servant in this passage, that, that he took the very nature of a servant, that word could actually be translated as slave. It's like a stronger word, um, but it's actually a better translation of that word. But we, we are like, I am no man's slave, right? Like I, I'm gonna work real hard so I can pay someone else to serve me. You can, I can pay someone to clean my house or to cut my fake grass. And like, that's our mindset. The other, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the kitchen with Karis and um, I was working and then I asked her to help me with something and typically Karis is a great helper but on this day for whatever reason she kind of gave me a little pushback and um, I was like Karis you need to be a servant and she looked at me so offended and she goes I am not a servant <laughs> and that, that's kind of how we all feel right like like if I choose to serve you well that's one thing but the minute you start to see me as a servant, well, that is a completely different thing. Like I am not a servant, but, but just following the example of Jesus, man, the closer we can get to that mindset, that humble mindset of I can serve, I can, I can lower myself so that the name of Jesus is lifted high, man, that's getting closer to the mindset that God wants us to have. All right, now the third 
the third example of where we see this word for neo that we're gonna look at today is in the next chapter of Philippians, Philippians 3. And Paul says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. That phrase right there, their mind is set, is the word phreneo. And there's another verse in the Bible that is almost like the counterpart of this, of this verse. It's also written by Paul and it also has the word phreneo in it. It's over in Colossians chapter three, where Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So I love the intentionality around that phrase of, of setting your mind. It kind of reminds me of the word mindsets, right? Like there, we get to choose what we think about and what we will dwell on. And so am I always only gonna think about the here and now, like what I can see and touch and feel? Or am I gonna set my gaze on what is in heaven, the things above. A better mindset is eternal. So we have a better mindset is familial, and a better mindset is humble, and finally we have a better mindset is eternal. In that verse where it says, their minds were set on earthly things, if you were to continue reading the next verse, it says, but your citizenship is in heaven. That's who you really are. And your passport right now might say that you're a citizen of the United States of America, or you're a citizen of Germany, or you're a citizen of Argentina, but you're just passing through here. Like this is a temporary citizenship. Your true citizenship, if you are in Christ, is that you are a citizen of heaven. And this life is just a vapor. It is a mist. We are here today and we could very well be gone tomorrow. I preached this sermon last night and I didn't know that this morning I was gonna wake up <sighs> to the horrible news about this shooting in LA. And those people didn't know that their life was gonna be gone last night. Nobody expected that. But that is the reality that every single one of us live with. And I don't say that to create fear in any of our hearts. It's just the reality that none of us know when, any, when eternity starts for us. And when we can live with an eternal mindset, like we are ready for it, then man, that changes everything about the way we live this day. You think about the ways that living with heaven in view, it helps you, right? Like if you're going through a tragedy right now, if you're going through a heartache right now, but you put it in light of eternity, it makes these problems, no matter how dark and severe they are, they can feel more light and momentary because they're time bound. You know that you have all of eternity. And so that helps us. It helps us to make better decisions because so often we get trapped in making decisions based on what is immediate instead of what is ultimate, right? Like we're pursuing this immediate pleasure. We're pursuing what feels good in this moment, what makes sense right now. But when we can lift up our eyes and catch a vision for what is ultimate, man, it helps us make a better decision. It helps us keep in mind what's really important in this life. 
that every single person that I'm interacting with, no matter how annoying they are, no matter how much pain they're causing me, every single person has a soul that will live on for all of eternity. And when I can think about that, when I can keep that at the front of my mind, it changes the way that I interact with people. It helps me to remember what is important. You know, I, I've noticed that a lot of people, when they're, when they're struggling with this decision about whether or not to surrender their life to God, a lot of it has to do with fear. A fear of what they're gonna have to let go of. What is God gonna ask of them? A fear of, of what they're gonna lose in this life. But, but what they're forgetting is everything that they gain that there is this eternal reward that awaits those who live in Christ. And so we, we cling to these things that we actually can't hold on to and we forsake that which is awaiting all who trust in Jesus. I love this quote by Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in Ecuador and actually became a martyr. And one day he wrote in his journal, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You guys, you can't, you can't hold on to this life. You can't hold on to your 401k or to your success or your position or your beauty. It is all a vapor. It is a mist. But I'll tell you what is real. There is a coming savior and there is an eternal reward for those who have placed their hope in him. So the question for us to think about today is where am I currently prioritizing the immediate over the ultimate? Where am I clinging to the things that I can see in this world, the pleasures that are entangling me right now, instead of getting a bigger vision for my life and setting my mind on heaven and what is ultimately of importance. As we wrap up our time together, I want us to go back to that first section of scripture that we were looking at in Philippians chapter two. Because Paul has some things to say about eternity in this section. He says, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Now see, Jesus started at the highest place. Remember, he started off being in very nature God. But then he went to the very lowest low of death on a cross. But right now it says that God exalted him back to the highest place. So Jesus went from glory to glory with the cross in between. That is the story of the gospel. This is the God that we worship. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are many people who have never made that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are many people that are listening to the sound of my voice right now who have not yet made that confession. And maybe for you, you're here today because you're exploring faith and you're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. And if that's you, I just wanna say to you, you are in the right place. 
Saddleback is a safe place for you to explore what you believe about God. And we are glad that you're here. Some of you have not yet made that confession because you kind of like that feeling of freedom. Like you're the captain of your own ship and you're not ready to surrender your life to any other person's control. For some of you, it just feels like eternity is so far off. So why would you make that decision today? Because you've got plenty of time. But friend, according to this passage, one day you will make that confession. You know, there are, are many people in the world today that disparage the name of Jesus Christ. His name has become a cuss word to many people. There are people who willfully deny his existence and they will work to discredit that he has authority in this world. But one day their knee will also bow because there will come a day when everything that is so real right now will suddenly fade away and every eye will behold him. The Bible says that every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But on that day, it will not be confession unto salvation. It will just be confession of what has become incredibly obvious. Like this has been made clear that oh, you really are Lord. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, this day, not that day. But the decision that you make on this day could radically affect your reality on that day. And so I just wanna create a little space right now for anyone who has not yet made that confession in your life, to invite you to make today the day that you nail that down. Listen, why did Jesus go to the lowest of lows? Why did he die on the cross? It was because he loves you, because he wanted to offer you forgiveness for your sin. He wanted to wipe away the shame that you've lived with, all the past mistakes that you have, all the fear that's, that's just in your heart right now. He wants to help you with that. He offers you a path back to God through the cross and what he accomplished there. So friend, if, you, if that's you today, if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, can I just invite you to nail it down today? Today is the day of salvation. I'm gonna say a prayer and I want you inv to invite you to pray along with me in your heart the words that I say. God, I thank you that you see me, that you love me. And I just acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've made a lot of mistakes. And there's no way that I can work my way back to you. And so God, I wanna ask you to forgive me right now. I believe in what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. And that through his death and resurrection, I can have a relationship with you. Thank you for offering me new life in Christ. I receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen.